Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 51, The North Church. It was a cold night in March, cloudy and blowing. Every human body was turned into a fortress for bare defense of life. There was no snow on the ground, but it seemed as if there must be snow everywhere else. There was snow in the clouds overhead, and there was snow in the mind of man beneath. The very air, air felt like the quarry out of which the snow had been dug, which was being ground above. The wind felt black, the sky was black, and the lamps were blowing about as if they wanted to escape, for the darkness was after them. It was the Sunday following the induction of Fergus, and this was the meteoric condition through which Donald and Gibby passed on their way to the North Church, to hear him preach in the pulpit that was now his own. The people had been gathering since long before the hour, and the youths could find only standing room near the door. Cold as was the weather, and keen as blew the wind into the church, every time a door was opened, the instant it was shut again it was warm, for the place was crowded from the very height of the great steeple-sloping galleries, at the back of which the people were standing on the window sills down to the double swing doors, which were constantly cracking open, as if the house was literally too full to hold the congregation. The aisles also were crowded, with people standing, all eager yet solemn, with granite faces and live eyes. One who did not know better might well have imagined them gathered in hunger after good tidings from the kingdom of truth and hope whereby they might hasten the coming of that kingdom in their souls and the souls they loved. But it was hardly that. It was indeed a long way from it, and no such thing. The eagerness was in the mass, doubtless with exceptions, to hear the new preacher. The eyes of the young men went wandering over the crowd, looking for any of their few acquaintances. But below they mostly fell, of course, on the backs of heads. There was, however, no mistaking either Geneva's bonnet or occupant, perched like a capital on the long neck of her father. They sat a good way in front, about the middle of the great church. At the sight of them, Gibby's face brightened. Donald's turned pale as death. For only the last week but one, he had heard of the frequent visits of the young preacher to the cottage, and of the favor in which he was held by both father and daughter, and his state of mind since had not, with all his philosophy to rectify and support it, been an enviable one. That he could not, for a moment, regard himself as a fit husband for the lady lass, or dream of exposing himself or her to the insult which the offer of himself as a son-in-law would bring on them both from the laird, was not a reflection to render their thought of such as Fergus Duff marrying her, one with the less horribly unendurable. Had the laird been in the same social position as before, Donald would have had no fear of his accepting Fergus. But misfortune alters many relations. Fergus's father was a man of considerable property, Fergus himself almost a man of influence, and already in possession of a comfortable income. It was possible to imagine that the impoverished Thomas Galbraith, late of Glashrock Esquire, might contrive to swallow what annoyance there could not be 
but in any case be in wedding his daughter to the son of John Duff, laid his own tenant of the mains. Altogether, Donald's thoughts were not of the kind to put him in fit mood. I do not say to gather benefit from the prophesying of Fergus, but to give fair play to the peddler who now arose to display his loaded calico and beggarly shoddy over the book board of the pulpit. But the congregation listened rapt. I dare not say there was no divine reality concerned in his utterance, for Gibby saw many a glimmer through the rents in his logic and the thin warm patches of his philosophy, but it was not such glimmers that fettered the regards of the audience, but the noisy flow and false eloquence of the preacher. It added to Donald's unrest and swelled his evil mood to see Mr. Galbraith absorbed for Geneva's bonnet it did not once move, but then it was not set at an angle to indicate either eyes upturned in listening or cast down in emotion. Donald would have sacrificed for one peep round the corner of that bonnet. He had become painfully aware that much as he had seen of Geneva, he knew scarcely anything of her thoughts. He had always talked so much more to her than she to him, that now, when he longed to know, he could not even guess what she might be thinking or what effect such an argument of red and yellow would have upon her imagination and judgment. She could not think or receive what was not true, he felt sure, but she might easily enough attribute truth where it did not exist. At length the rockets, Roman candles, and squibs were all burnt out, and the preacher sunk back, exhausted, in his seat. The people sang a prayer, fit pendant to such a sermon, followed, and the congregation was dismissed. Not a few paid the preacher welcome compliments on his grand discourse. The young men were out among the first, and going round to another door in the churchyard, by which they judged Geneva and her father must issue, there stood waiting. The night was utterly changed. The wind had gone about, and the vapors were high in heaven, broken all into cloud masses of sombre grandeur. Now from behind, now upon their sides, they were made glorious by the full moon, while through their rents appeared the sky and the ever-marvelous stars. Gibby's eyes went climbing up the spire, the shot skyward over their heads. Around its point the clouds and the moon seemed together, grouping themselves in grand carelessness. And he thought of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven to us. He was yet gazing, forgetful of the human tide about him, watching the glory dominant over storm. When his companion pitched his arm, he looked and was aware that Fergus, muffled to the eyes, was standing beside them. He seemed not to see them, and they were nowise inclined to attract his attention, but gazed motionless on the church door, an unsealed fountain of souls. What a curious thing it is to watch an issuing crowd of faces for one loved one, all so unattractive, provoking, blamable as they come rolling round corners, die, dividing and flowing away, not one of them the right one. But at last, out she did come, Geneva, like a daisy among mown grass. It was really she, but with her father. She saw Donald glanced from him to Gibby, cast down her sweet eyes, and made no sign. Fergus had already advanced and addressed the laird. Ah, Mr. Duff, said Mr. Galbraith, Excuse me, but would you oblige me by giving your arm to my daughter? I see a friend waiting to speak to me. I shall overtake you in a moment. Fergus murmured his pleasure in Geneva, and he moved away together. The youths for a moment watched the father. He dawdled, evidently wanted to speak to no one. They then followed the two, walking some yards behind them. 
every other moment. Fergus would bend his head towards Geneva once or twice. They saw the little bonnet turn upwards in response to her question. Poor Donna was burning with lawless indignation. Why should the minister muffle himself up like an old woman in the crowd and take off the great handkerchief when talking with the lady? When the youths reached the street where the cottage stood, they turned the corner after them and walked quickly up to them where they stood at the gate, waiting to be opened. Sick a grand night, said Donald, after the usual greetings. Sir Gibby and me's a hand a donner with the moon. He went on pointing to the clouds about the moon. Therewith Donald walked on, doubtless for the moment a little, relieved. But before they had walked far, he broke down altogether. Gibby, he said, yon rascal's gone to marry the laddy lass, and it drives me mad to think it. Gin I could but want and see and speck till her aunt's just once. What'll come o' uh, the goings up o' uh, the mains and the heather up o' Glashgar? He burst out crying, but instantly dashed away his tears with indignation at his weakness. I maun dream my weird, undergo my doom, he said, and said no more. Gibby's face had grown white in the moon gleams, and his lips trembled. He put his arm through Donald's and clung to him, and in silence they went home. When they reached Donald's room, Donald, entering, shut the door behind him and shut out Gibby. He stood for a moment like one dazed, then suddenly coming to himself, turned away, left the house, and ran straight to Dar Street. When the minister's door was opened to him, he went to that of the dining room, knowing Mr. and Mrs. Sclatter would then be at supper. Happily for his intent, the minister was at the moment having his tumbler of toddy after the labors of the day an indulgence which, so long as Gibby was in the house, he had, ever since the first dinner-party, taken in private, out of regard, as he pretended to himself, for the boy's painful associations with it, but in reality, to his credit, be it told, if it may, from a little shame of the thing itself. And his wife, therefore, when she saw Gibby rose, and meeting him, took him with her to her own little sitting-room, where they had a long talk of which the result appeared the next night in a note from Mrs. Sclatter to Gibby, asking him and Donald to spend the evening of Tuesday with her. Thank you for listening to another episode of Baker's Song Story Classic. <laughs>